0: It is the Christmas extravaganza edition of the Corey Act Show on his radio talk. Stick with me to get ready for Christmas morning. a fan of these two episodes every year. We are in year eight or nine, I can't recall, of the Corey Truack Show, and every year, the last episode of the year and the first one of the next year are very different. We take the last episode, the one closest to Christmas, and we don't talk about anything happening on planet Earth. We just talk about the holiday, the holy day, the Advent of Jesus, the coming of our Savior, and I've got some stories, some preparation I've done to get you ready for that. And then next week We'll talk about the year that has been and the year to come and recenter ourselves and what we value and get our priorities straight and all of that. So there's a lot to do, and it should be a joyous good time together. I don't even have to talk a ton this week. I am going to talk a lot. It is a talk show. But I have some songs I want to play for you to get you in the Christmas spirit, tell you some of the origin stories of those songs, and let's get ready with that effort to celebrate Sunday morning. I hope you're celebrating with your church body on Sunday morning celebrate properly this momentous occasion, the first advent of our savior, and then longing for the second one as well. We'll get started in just a moment. Welcome to the Corey True Act Show on his radio talk and wherever you find podcasts. I should say here at the end of the year, thank you to his radio. Thank you to Gary Miller for what is eight or again, eight or nine years. It's kinda crazy that it's been going on that long for the Corey True Act Show. Also, some folks to say uh, thank you to are the supporters of the show, those that give monthly, those that just listen and share the show regularly. I see you out there. I'm grateful. I'm thankful for that, for all the encouraging messages you send me. Uh, I think of one I never responded to. An old friend, Chandler, sent me something about just enjoying the Advent content that we're doing. And those numbers are great, by the way. You guys apparently like talking about these things. So I am grateful. I think I failed to mention, I am the pastor for teaching at Beechwood Church. Beechwood Church is A, awesome, and B, meets at 1030 on Sunday mornings in Greenville. You're invited. Got lots of folks coming to Greenville constantly. If you're riding down the road on Christmas Eve morning right now on his radio talk, headed to where you're headed to celebrate Christmas, hey, come on tomorrow morning. I hope everyone's church is meeting on Sunday morning. I know we are. We're going to meet there at 1030. I'll be preaching. Would love to have you. You, the listener, You're worthy of preparation. You give me 50 minutes every week. If you're listening live on his radio, it's an hour. And I would not do you the disservice of turning on the microphone and just free-flowing what's happened in my week. I have prepared for you some things to get ready for Christmas, and let's start here. I don't think I'm odd in that O Holy Night is certainly my favorite Christmas song. The combination of theology, music, music, Let's go with creativity, the beauty of its harmonies. I think it's not even close. It's the best Christmas song there is. I would put Hark the Herald Angels Sing as your best theological Christmas song. If you just want to get into the deep intellectual, but then that intellect will drive to your affections. The things that you know, when you know they are true, will drive your emotions. And if you get into Hark the Herald Angels Sing, it will fire you up a fire up the emotions because it's going to light your mind on fire like think of that line veiled in flesh so there's something covering the true nature of him veiled in flesh the godhead see so the godhead from all of time i'd love to see him but if i see the godhead the trinitarian godhead i will be incinerated in my ghastliness compared to his holiness So behind the Godhead, it's veiled in flesh. The Godhead see, hail, the incarnate, the fleshly, the put on a body deity. See God in Jesus. When you think of that, that I'm going to do that eventually. I will get to see his face. But you start to recognize the grittiness of the Christmas story, how fleshly it is. I don't mean that in the, the biblical sinful sense of flesh, but how embodied it is. That's an embodied baby coming out of embodied woman in a dirty place with particular smells and a man trying to clean the junk out of that baby's nostrils so he can so he can smell and breathe. You think about the Jesus ministry, it's not a fable, it's not a fairy tale. He walked on the planet he was embodied. It's Tim Keller I think that often says, people say they're looking for an airtight argument for Christianity and we got something better. We got an airtight person. We got someone In the flesh. So, I love a holy night. I think Hark the Herald Angels Sing is your best theological, from line to line, Christmas song. But there's one that hit me years ago, a few years ago, that we sang at Beachwood Church on Sunday, and it just has one of my favorite lines. If you're picking one line, this might be my favorite one in a Christmas song. It comes from O Little Town of Bethlehem, where... You have, uh, I think it's verse three. Uh, Something about, uh, and in, there it is. Corey, start writing stuff down. Um, I say I'm I'm prepared, and I didn't even write this down. And in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. Imagine the dark streets of a town on the backwater of, actually, the backwater of the back end of the Roman Empire, a middle-of-nowhere place. So you've been out when it's dark, in a place that doesn't have what we call now light pollution with so many electric lights everywhere. It's dark out there. And in that dark little town, in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. It's almost mystical. It's almost magical. Think about it even, try to to apply it to modern day. Some random town right now in Libya, in Mongolia. I'm trying to think of far-flung places. There's a 100 people in a village, no electricity for 100 miles, and in their dark little streets, God might come in a body? We talk about the, quote, magic of Christmas, end quote, but there is something mystical and magical about that. In the dark streets of this little town, Bethlehem, the everlasting light, and then here's the profound line that I love, it's the hopes and fears Of all the years, are met in you, are met in thee tonight. Man, if we just don't sing past that and dwell on what the writer says there, it is profound. All of the hopes of all the people, they're met in Jesus? Every hope for connection and relationship, for acceptance, inclusion, care, reconciliation, forgiveness. All the hope I've ever had, it's its met in this one baby. The hopes and the fears. Fears of losing those things. Fears of never having connection. Losing relationship. Never being accepted. Not having someone looking after my well-being. Never being reconciled. Always being far off. All of my fear, well, for that matter, the fear of death. Separation from those I love. All of my hopes and fears find an answer in one place, Jesus. And it's the hopes and fears of all the years. Not just mine, but antiquity. And all in the future. Jesus being the answer to every hope and fear. That is some deep, profound truth. I don't want to keep it in a song. I want to talk about that some. From the scriptural narrative. So let's start from the beginning. What are the hopes and the fears? Well, we go to the we go to the the scriptures that those that would have been around Jesus first would have lived in. They would have lived in Genesis and seen how before the fall of man, everything was right and perfect. And then after the fall of after the fall of man, after the sin of Adam and Eve, everything just falling apart. And that being the answer to why there's so much longing in our hearts. The longing is real. We want things to be different. We know things shouldn't be this way. And we want the world reconciled. We want the earth made right. We want people to love each other and love God. There's a longing in our hearts for all of what's wrong to be made right. And so immediately, all of that longing starts to search. When you're longing for something, you look for something. And so as we keep reading the narrative of the scriptures, and we've seen the fall of man, we want things to be made right, we immediately run into Cain and Abel. See, maybe one of them, maybe Abel here, he seems to really kind of be nailing it. Maybe it's going to be Abel that can meet the call of making everything right. Because as soon as things were made, or as soon as things were broken, God makes a promise. I'm going to send somebody. We're going to make this right. All of the disease and death and toil and betrayal and hatred and disconnection and irreconcilable differences, all of the problems, everything's going to be solved. I got one coming. He's going to meet your hopes and fears. And so we immediately start searching and we run into Cain and Abel and it does not go well. We run into Noah and he is the only only righteous man of the time, only one doing right, and man, we think he's kind of nailing it. He's faithful. He builds he builds a, a ship to protect his family. But man, when that goes when that ship finally hits something, it does not go well with Noah. We got him drunk impregnating his daughters in a cave. And we keep going, and maybe even some naive minds might read Babel and go, Well, maybe this, the Tower of Babel, and go, This, this is the answer. Maybe it's not Jesus, Maybe not God sends one, but we all become one and build something to become like God's, and then that breaks, and we just keep reading, and we're searching, and we're longing. Is anybody ever going to come and make this right? Oh, well, here's Abraham. He believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he listens to God, does exactly what he's told, and leaves his land to go after a new one, and he gets a promise that Yes, yeah, so I've I have promised one, and it's through you and your line that promise I made back in the garden. We're gonna fulfill that, and we watch Abraham, and we want him to be the guy, and he just, whew, remember the Hagar story? Uh, maybe he's not Abraham. Okay, well, good news—he has a kid, Ishmael, and that doesn't go well. All right, well, then we start a pattern: God choosing the lesser over the greater he chooses Isaac the younger son and maybe maybe it'll be Isaac that that gets it right but man Isaac can't get out of his own own way and has two sons that are rivals and so you're thinking maybe it's not Isaac it could be one of these two but even the the lesser of those two is a he's Jacob he tricks Esau he he makes a mockery of Isaac and steals the birth right this family is a disaster Abraham Isaac and Jacob in a lot of ways and then we get a, a narrative here that, well, Jacob has four wives, has 12 sons, and at least one of them, he's got a bit of an arrogance problem. Joseph is a young man, doesn't know when to stop talking about his dreams, causes strife within his family. You think, well, maybe it is Joseph. He does seem kind of special. Before they throw him into a pit, he goes off to Egypt, and God purposes what they meant for evil to be good. And you think, well, I guess it's not, I guess it's not Joseph, because then Joseph dies at the end of that narrative, and we're start, we're starting to lose hope here, because then just hundreds of years pass, and we go, um, here's what happens next. All the Israelites went to Egypt and started to just have a lot of babies, and then Egypt enslaves them. Uh, all right, I'm, I'm going to need some hope here. I, I still feel this longing for things to be made right, and Cain, Abel, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, none of them none of them are close and then rises up All right, well I'm gonna pull Moses you mean the Moses that killed those guys yeah that Moses the the Moses with the stutter who doesn't even want to go before Pharaoh won't won't believe won't have faith to do what God tells him to do yep d- d- that Moses all right and God does incredible things through Moses to take them to take his people out of Egypt through the Red Sea to the promised land all right awesome maybe it'll be Moses but Moses handles his business in the wilderness not, not all that well, and God says, you can't go. And it speeds up. We start to look at, well, maybe it's going to be Joshua, this faithful spy who goes into the land. But he has his own problems, can't keep sin out of the camp. He dies. Everything falls into disarray so that every man is doing that which is right in his own eyes. We get some judges and Othniel and Ehud. We get some cool stories of Deborah and Samson and Gideon. All that gets to happen. And then we're just look no. And all those judges, a lot of them are disasters. And as we're reading the narrative, we keep looking back at Genesis and go, is anybody going to fulfill these hopes and fears? This is not going well. And then, all right, give us a king. And let's see how Saul does. Saul tries to, he's the wrong person who does right things, but he's the wrong person to do it. God rejects him. Saul tries to kill his successor, David. David kills a man, takes his wife. as a man of war, can't build a temple. So we get Solomon. And really after Solomon and the the exiles and the the kingdom breaking up, I don't know what we're supposed to hope for anymore. Then I just got prophets in the wilderness saying, well, one will come. God's going to do his thing, but no one's really in charge. The kings of the northern and southern kingdoms are disasters, and then we finally come to reading after all these prophets. We come to a guy named Malachi, and after that, it's hundreds of years of silence. I've been reading. I've been looking. I I have hopes and fears. Fears that this world won't be made right, and I'm hoping that it will, and I got no hope for it anymore, and now you're not talking, and in to that silence, into the dark, silent streets of Bethlehem. The everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in him tonight. That's Jesus. We're going to play for you now I to go to this break. The Frank Sinatra version of O Little Town of Bethlehem. We're going to come back and talk more about that answer to the hopes and fears of all the years. Being met in Jesus. This is Frank Sinatra with a Little Town of Bethlehem. Oh
1: Little Town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet Dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years.
0: Listening to the Christmas edition of the Cora Juack Show on his radio talk and wherever you find podcasts. We'll be back with more in just a moment. Moment. Welcome back to the Cory Truax Show on his radio talk and wherever you find podcasts. Find me, your host, Corey Truax, on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Look for my very unique name, it's easy to find me. You can also email the show at Corey Truax Show at gmail.com. Corey Truax Show at gmail.com. I had to rush a little bit of that narrative in the old testament of scriptures that Christmas is the answer to the longing question. Who's gonna meet all my hopes? Who's going to quell all my fears? And it wasn't any of those men we just talked about throughout the Old Testament. And it wasn't even the temple and the sacrifices. None of those could do it. We needed Jesus. That's the reason we celebrate. He's the only one who can, where we can place hope on him, he won't fail us and can quell our greatest fears. Now, that's reality. But I also want to recognize and acknowledge that we don't live in accordance with reality even now. The people leading up to Jesus were always looking for him. But even those who recognize his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascendance, his sitting on the right hand of the Father, we're still searching. I don't know if I said this on the show recently. I know I said it in church. It's a profound thing, I can't remember who, who I heard say it first, that when John the Baptist was in prison, he sent messengers to Jesus, and the question was, are you the Messiah, or shall we look for another? It wasn't, are you the Messiah, or, sh- or should we stop looking? It was, we're going to have a Messiah, we're going to look for one, are you him? And the profound thing I learned was, the human heart will always look. The human heart is always going to look for reconciliation, connection to its maker, acceptance or approval, uh, to be cared for. We're going to look for those things. And even today, even those that rely on Jesus, sometimes our our flesh comes up and looks for those things in other elements. We'll look past Jesus and look for control. We're control freaks. I would ask you, here we are on Christmas, if you're listening live, it's Christmas Eve. How much does it bother you that not everybody in your family is doing things your way? That the dinner plans didn't go quite the way you wanted? That the schedule for everybody wasn't quite what you envisioned? And you're maybe a little upset about it. Maybe you know somebody who's like this. You hold on to control. You seek to control your life and others. We look past him and the control he has over things and seek our own control. Or we still are looking. We look past him in the approval that he offers in his own work, not that we've earned our own approval. And we are stressed out about how someone else feels, about the public persona that we project. We really need the approval of strangers or our parents or our kids or whoever it is. And we don't just live in the comfort and the power of the reality that we've got the approval of our our Father in Heaven, through Jesus' work, starting at Christmas. Or, instead of feeling the comfort of knowing we have an omniscient God who became so close to us, He was pre-eminent, He was so far away and above, became imminent, He became close, to become familiar with our struggles and pain, instead of finding comfort in that, we just try to deaden the longing. Instead of searching, we deaden it by surrounding ourselves with comfort and frivolity and entertainment and food and drink and sensation so that we don't have to feel the longing. Or we look past the power that this God who's reconciled us to himself, the power he has over all things, and seek out our own so that we don't just control our, our own lives but everyone else's. We're going to look We're going to look for answers to our fears. Some of us look first to us. We're going to look for answers to our hopes of what we want out of this life, and we will often turn inward or into other things on this planet. But instead, let's look back on what Jesus did in the Advent coming to us and to his coming again and where he is with us now for all of that. The narrative of Scripture was someone come to meet our hopes and fears, and we have this wonderful reality of having seen it already happen. The only place you can put your hopes that will not fail, Jesus. The only power that can quell all your fears. Whether that is sickness and death, it's separation, it's disapproval, it's discomfort. The only one who can quell your fears, Jesus. Let's reorient ourselves this Christmas season about that reality. Thank you for listening to The Corey Truax Show on his radio talk. I I love doing the the Christmas story in part because it is our origin story. We need origin stories. I think we find that even just in, in entertainment where a character gets very popular, and so someone decides that character in that movie needs an origin story. A lot of the superhero movies do that. We're more than happy to just accept, this person has powers. Like We'll do the uh, suspension of disbelief thing. That I can't remember which artist said that. You have to have the willing suspension of disbelief to enjoy movies and art and all that. We're just willing to do that, but instead, a lot of times we want to hear the origin story. And I don't know why. It's, it's something about our instinct is we need to know where our figures come from. And that is what Christmas is for us. It's the origin story of Jesus, certainly. And what a story it is. Again, no advantages for him. Middle of nowhere to probably a teenage mother who's going to be ostracized her whole life for having gotten pregnant before she was married. To a father who's probably in some ways ostracized for either getting his betrothed to be bride pregnant before they were married, or just assumption that he is some other person has fathered a kid with his wife. To not probably not pop like Poverty of that day, but what we would call poverty. You work that day just to eat that day, to take care of yourself that day. With, man, all the trappings of the story. Kings coming from the east, lowly, that's an important word, lowly shepherds, being announced for his for his birth. The first evangelists and of the great call to, uh, to celebrate his birth from that group of people. His, his origin story is dramatic and incredible. There's angels on a hillside. There's, a, there's another infant, John the Baptist, w- jumping in the womb at his announcement. There's angels to, a, to that girl and to her husband, Joseph. It's, it's an incredible story. We love his, his, his origin story. I even encourage reading it with the family. But it's also our origin story. I would hope you'd identify with that. I, I mean, I would certainly, when I'm meeting someone new... When they ask me for my story, I'm not going to say, well, my story started in Bethlehem. You know, that's not how it starts. But I just saying this. Yeah, I would say, you know, I was born in the Ivory Coast, missionary parents, and lived the the MK, the missionary kid life, and give the timeline. But something internally I know, my truest story is not Doug and Sheila Truax's son, which is an awesome thing to be, by the way. I have awesome parents. Uh, And the, the an, an American and a Southerner and all those things. My truest story is I have been born again. I have new birth. And the sequence of my new birth started 2,000 years ago in a manger in Bethlehem. And that's my my origin story. Where'd I come from? Well, in the flesh, I came from Farrakasa, Dugu, Ivory Coast. But in my eternal self, I've been made new by a Savior who came from Bethlehem. We need origin stories. Speaking of them, what I want to do now for you is tell you about one of my favorite Christmas songs and then play a good portion of it. It's The, the words are from the great American poet Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. He wrote it two years after a terrible tragedy. His wife was preparing food in the home and with an open flame just... Got in some real trouble. She she caught on fire. Um, she died. She died from this accident in the house. He was terribly burned. You may not know that about Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. He suffered terrible burns in trying to to put out the flame that's on his wife. And he he adored his wife. As these poets of the American uh, that that American Civil War era, as the modernist era was about to hit us, man, th- th- those men loved their wives had five kids. And his, his story had some other tragedy. I mean, his, of course, he loses his wife, but they had lost some of the five kids before. And then two Christmases after her passing and his terrible burning in a life that had already had some kids pass, he gets noticed that his son, unbeknownst to him, his eldest son, has signed up with the Union Army to fight in the Civil War. That that war itself was uh, he wrote long i remember reading one of his poems about that time it was as if the how did he say it the, uh, the the pedestal underneath the earth had come apart like that's how i mean you consider that if we had it today your countrymen start killing each other in mass like really terrible uh casualties you don't you don't really have anybody that you don't know that has suffered terribly either had a death from that war or someone comes back without a leg or an eye or something like everyone's affected by it it's a horrific tragedy so there was the war breaking out his wife dying he already had kids die and now he loses his eldest son and he writes this really powerful idea that he's on Christmas morning at home and he hears choir in the distance from maybe an open, windowed church singing, peace on earth, goodwill to men. And his is none of that is real. I have no peace. What are you talking about? I've lost children. I just lost my eldest. I lost my wife. The, The world is on fire. We're all fighting each other. What are you talking about, peace on earth? When he heard that song and the bells on Christmas Day. I'm going to play for you the song in a minute, but... In another writing of of Longfellow, he did come to an ultimate conclusion. It goes like this. Though in a manger thou draw breath, so talking about Christmas Day, talking about Jesus in the manger, though you are just this baby, though in a manger thou draw breath, thou art greater than life and death. That even in all of the darkness and the tragedy of it, Longfellow, who I, I think was a genuine believer, he recognizes that on Christmas we have the answer to all that tragedy, the answer to all that darkness and death, and that is in that manger was one greater than life, greater than death, and will solve those problems for us. This version is one of my favorites. It comes from uh, David Osmond and Kim Harley. who says, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day.
1: I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men, of peace. How as the day had come The belfries of all Christendom and rolled along the unbroken song Of peace on earth Goodwill to men Of peace on earth Despair. I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth. I said, for hate is strong. And peal the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor die.
0: with more of the Christmas edition of the Cory True Act Show on his radio talk in just a moment. Merry Christmas and happy Advent Season from all of us here at His Radio Talk and the Cory True Act Show. And when I say all of us here at the Cory True Act Show, that's me. Yeah, and that's the end of the list. Welcome welcome back to it. Glad to have you for the Christmas edition of the show. If you have feedback or other thoughts you want to offer for future shows, you can do so on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Look for me, Corey Truax. You can also email the show at Corey Show at gmail.com. We're celebrating the incarnation. If you are listening live on Saturday morning, happy and merry Christmas Eve. As we prepare for tomorrow, I hope you'll be gathering with... Not just family and friends, but gathering with your church body to celebrate God becoming man. I, I finished that last segment with the, the song, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day, and the story of Henry Wadsworth Longfellow for lots of reasons. But one is I'm also sensitive to the reality that these days are hard for some people. The, the thing I guess I recognize as I got older is that my very charmed and easy life is the rarity. For some of you listening to me, this is your first Christmas without a mom, a dad, a spouse, God forbid, a child that you've lost in some way. For some of you, it's just a reminder It's the the empty seat at that Christmas dinner table. It's the empty rocking chair around the tree when presents get opened. And so I just know, with all the joy, there is a recognition in me always that these are not always easy days. And that's why I find the Henry Wadsworth Longfellow story so compelling. And it should be said out loud. His feelings should be expressed out loud. Here we are. We're around the tree. We're at the church. We're expressing peace on earth, goodwill to men the reconciliation of all things. God and sinners reconciled. And then the recognizing in a lot of folks' hearts and minds, the feeling is, no, no, I don't feel that way at all. How am I supposed to feel like this is peace on earth? And feel joy with with the other emotions that I'm having? And I want to just say that out loud. You're seen. I get it. I, I may not even get it personally, but I, I sympathize even if I sh- fail to empathize. I have sympathy for the reality, even if I can't feel it myself. So the Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, I I heard the bells on Christmas Day, a really good expression of that reality for a lot of us. So a couple themes here, and then I want to start closing out. We start with Jesus as the fulfillment of all of our hopes and longings. It's a good time of year to search your own heart. Have you placed your longings, your hopes, or the answer to your fears and other things, your job, your title, your money, your spouse, your kids, your reputation, all those things are good things, but they're not where we find our hopes or the answers to our fears. So it's a a reorientation. And second, there is a, an orientation to gather and recognizing that he doesn't stay in the manger. As I say that, I'm looking out my upstairs window and my across the street neighbor has a kind of like, kind of like a cardboard cutout nativity scene. and there is a, a little halo over this manger. And we like to see Jesus that way. It is sweet, it is tender and listen, it's good. I just know he doesn't stay there. A big theme this year in the preaching I took in at Beechwood Church, some of the other sermons I listened to. It really has been a Jesus is king type year. That reality only becomes more realized in my own heart and mind every day or week. And this year has been a big part of that. That yes, he is born, but he was born, born king of the Jews. That's why Herod, when he found out about this king being born from the Magi, he wanted him dead because Jesus is a threat. He's a threat to power. He's a threat to the control our enemy has over us. Enemy, And that enemy uses all kinds of methods. Sometimes he uses governments to do it, but he often uses our own nature. He'll use employers. He'll use bad experiences. He'll use bad memories. He'll he'll use abuse that you have undergone. And I, I use that word in the denotative sense, actual abuse, but even the connotative sense that ways in which you have been taken advantage of and the bitterness that can come from that, the, the hard work it is to Get past those things. He'll use all of those things to control you and have power over you. And part of our maturation and sanctification is recognizing more and more. No, those things will not rule over me. King Jesus rules over me. He was born as a threat to power over us, and he will win. Right now, there's a little controversy going around by some YouTuber dude. I don't I don't even know who this guy is. He's apparently quite a big deal. His name's Logan Paul, maybe? Paul Logan, Logan Paul, something like that, who just said some really blasphemous things on a podcast. And one of the things that starts to hit me lately is, yeah, you say those blasphemous things. I, I want you to know, YouTuber guy, you will stand before the king one day. And your YouTube fame won't matter. Your money won't matter. You'll answer to the king. And while I... Have that ethic that's growing in me to say that to powerful powerful people. It never escapes me that I will too. That old phrase from the last decade, uh, only God can judge me. And many folks have responded wisely, yeah, that should terrify you. And w- when I stand before the throne, I get to stand in him complete because Jesus' righteousness is imputed to me. Something we celebrate this year. He does come, but he comes to die for our sins. It's one of the things I'm going to say in our Christmas sermon at Beechwood Church. I don't know who said it first. I heard it in a Tim Keller sermon. I've heard it in Matt Chandler sermons. I've heard this a lot. Christmas is quite the tattletale. When the angel comes to Joseph, he doesn't just say, Hey, what's happening in Mary is conceived of the Holy Spirit. He says, There's coming one. You'll name him Jesus because he comes to save his people from their sin. So this, this event of Jesus' coming is even immediately attached to its purpose. Well, what's its purpose? To save sinners from their sin. He didn't come just to be cute and a cute baby. He didn't come to save you from your boo-boos. He didn't come to try to clean up your life and for you to have your best life now and try harder. No, no, no. He came because you're a sinner. He came because I'm a sinner. And he came to solve our greatest problem, Sin. It's a tattletale. It told on you. You're a sinner, apparently. That's why Jesus had to come. I'm a sinner. That's why Jesus had to come. And so, summarizing here. Yes, I, I want to recognize his heart. There's two points here. Recognize it's a hard season for a lot of people. You're seen in that. And then, big theme of the show today, he is king. He's the only king that can fulfill our hopes, who can quell our fears. He is where we should place, where we must place all of our hopes and fears this year. Continuing I want to see in my own life him continuing to knock off all of the, the kings I have placed in my own heart, all the things I keep control over, and more and more come under the good rule and reign of King Jesus, not the rule and reign of Corey. I've not done a great job of it, and the more and more he reigns, the better and better off I'll be. Here's how I want to stop. Matt Chandler, back at the Village Church. And I, you know, I, in terms of communication of gospel truths, I think he's one of the most gifted. And so I want to play for you now a, a clip from one of his recent Advent sermons. I have some things I want to comment on as we go. That's how we'll finish the Christmas edition of the show. This is Pastor Matt Chandler of the Village Church down in Dallas. I will comment as we go.
2: Now, because we're complex human beings we will find ourselves bouncing between all four of those in different seasons of life. But-
0: I should give you some context. This sermon was about the four idols that we might have around Christmas uh, that that we replace Christ with and it was things like what well, I think you'll pick it up by context. So he's he's preaching here you have idols, things that grab your affections and your attention and your time. Jesus is the replacement for all of those, and he's the, he supersedes all of those. When we will focus on him and his kingship. Back to the sermon.
2: Like I, the way I've experienced it as a pastor for the last 20 years is is that man we're we're like find our identity. here is my identity, and then oh that didn't really work, so let me ask my spouse to be this kind of thing for me, or this friend group to be this kind of thing to me. Well, man, gosh, that's not going to work. So let me kind of get on this kind of political rant, or let me get and, and all of those things. They will. I'm just telling. They make you happy for
0: a little bit. Talking about distraction here the set of hopes and fears of all the years being met in jesus well maybe my hopes will be met in this election going the way i want maybe my hopes and fears will be met in that i can deaden the feeling with this netflix show or by eating this or having this experience or going on this trip or getting this person's approval and all of them are fun for a minute but they will all leave us empty and longing for the real thing in the end
2: like, even kind of ideologies in the world kind of fighting. Like, you ever found a, just a, a meme that's so good that you've got to share it with that person that it, that it jabs at? You could, we're okay, all right? We've shared far worse. Anybody else is like, dang it, that just, I, I'm sending this to Debbie. If your name's Debbie, I'm sorry. I literally just at that out. Or maybe it's prophetic. I don't know. So, like, it's this thing, right? It's this thing. Like, it makes us happy for a second. Or how about this? You ever... Um, gave into a compulsion that that you thought would make you happy in the moment, and almost immediately you felt shame and guilt and self-hate wash over you. Anybody?
0: I have to imagine everyone listening, including me, has had that experience. The compulsion you gave into was your temper. It was that word you know you could say. It was that phrase you know you could say to that person, and it would rip them because you know what gets them. It was that website you've been to too many times, and you've told yourself you're going to stop going, and you just clicked right back on there. It was that person you know you shouldn't have texted that late, and then you did, and shame is immediate. But you were, there was hopes and there was hopes that you would feel what you needed to feel. There was fear of you being without, and when we live in unrealized hopes or we live in fear. We're going to chase after other idols, chase after other sensations to fill us in when we have the real thing. It's what we're celebrating at Christmas.
2: Just experience that? We're like, oh my gosh, yes. So what ends up happening is we start to bounce between these four, this idol fails, so we come over here and do this idol, and we do this idol, and we add some you know workout routine over here, and then we start working on this, and then start over here, and then, man, gosh, in the meantime, it's really bothering me, so let me fill this up with Netflix and Instagram. I just can't feel, can't think, can't. I gotta numb this, I gotta stay busy, gotta stay fast. I love you. This is why we hate silence.
0: I love this point, it's why I'm playing the clip for you and then I have a challenge for you. This is why we hate silence makes us sit and think.
2: Hate it. Do we do anything that doesn't have sound going on in the background? And that silence is so terrifying because there you are. Oh gosh. Probably not going to like that. Yeah. So let let me end this way.
0: Or you can let me end this way. I know it's really hard this time of year. Especially those of you listening to me who are parents, a lot of you are going to just yell at me when I say this. Find some time for silence. We... Distract ourselves with constant podcasting, Spotify, Apple Music, always something on the TV, just some background noise. Find some time for silence. I I mean, prioritize it because, again, especially those of you who are parents, it's going to be almost impossible to find some time for silence. Maybe you can only make it a minute. Maybe you can only make it five. But sit in that. Use it for prayer, use it for focus, and see what comes up. Where'd your mind go? What's the the messages you're telling yourself? And then what the scriptures say is take every thought captive. I think if we sat with ourselves in silence more, then we would more clearly identify where our hopes and fears find their answer right now, It'll become more clear where our comforts come from, the approvals that we're seeking, the power that we want, the control we want over our lives, all of these idols that manifest differently for all of us. In this era, a, a lot of it is about power and control through governmental systems. Sometimes it's it's just having control and power by being the one with all the right theology, which we we want that, by the way. We want right theology, but sometimes we just find pride in that. and We have—we love the approval we get from others or the control and power we can have over others through it. I mean, even good things can have bad motivations. Or if we will allow ourselves to sit in silence for a little while, we'll recognize I'm just deadening all of my longings. I'm deadening all of my fears by just distracting myself with lots of shows and overindulging, overeating, overdrinking, It's Christmas. I want us to celebrate it. Celebrate that the hopes and fears of all the years are met in Jesus. But it's also worth challenging ourselves as well. That Jesus is king. He demands our fealty. He demands our loyalty, and it's the best demand we could have. Every other king, every other place we play. Every other place we put our hopes and the answers to our fears always fail us. They're good for a minute, and they fail us. This good king came 2,000 years ago to call you away from yourself, to call you away from your idols, to call me away from my idols, to come and live under his rule, his reign. So celebrate that the king has come, and he's coming again. Celebrate it. I am asking you to take some time and ask, what are the ways I am not living under the rule of King Jesus, and how might be brought under his good, good rule. Merry Christmas. From all of us at His Radio Talk and the Corey Truax Show, enjoy it with family, focus on Jesus, the reason that we get to celebrate this time of year. I'll be back with another new edition of the Corey Truax Show next week. Until then, everybody, Merry Christmas. Peace and love.